Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to episode 89 of the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. At the moment, 49% of people are saying that they feel that car ownership is more important to them now than it was pre-COVID. Um, and then the growth of electric vehicles and, and hybrids as well, to some extent, has been has been very strong and there seems to be a lot of interest from the public to have them. As kind of more government policies kind of came out which were promoting both electric vehicles and kind of negatively impacting ordinary uh, diesel and petrol cars. So we kind of wanted a future-proof value of our car to the extent that we could. This week, along with which cars expert Adrian Porter, we'll be taking a deep dive into buying a car during the pandemic. We'll be discussing the cheapest way to buy and if there's any truth in whether going electric could be cheapest in the long run, unpicking the real running costs and the grants available to help make them more affordable, as well as looking at how the cars industry has been coping and what the future holds for prices. We are which. We're coming up to March, which is traditionally the busiest month for car sales because of the number plate change. But perhaps unsurprisingly, based on the extraordinary 12 months we've just had, the industry had a very difficult start to the year. Just 90,000 new cars were sold in the UK in January, which, to put in perspective, is the slowest January for over 50 years, wildly since 1970. Adrian, how is the car industry coping at the moment? And could a slow start be good news for buyers hoping to haggle their way to a better deal? Well, it's certainly been a really difficult time in the car industry. According to figures published by the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders, we saw just over a 29% drop in new car sales compared to the same time in 2019. And that's off the back of falling car sales since 2016. Mm. But it's especially bad news for dealerships not being able to open their doors until mid-April, as you say, because March sees that, that crucial number plate change and is typically the busiest month for sales. In fact, the SMMT say it can account for 1 in 50 new car sales made that calendar year. So you might assume that when dealerships do open their doors in sort of their mid-April, as is currently the plan, consumers uh, could be overwhelmed with amazing deals, but that's not necessarily how it's going to happen. So the last time dealerships reopened uh, following lockdown in or lockdowns in 2020, our industry insider tipped us off. Essentially, there will be a sort of weighing up period to gauge consumer demand and the best deals might take a little while to appear. We were also warned of consumers being offered potentially poor deals on part exchanging their existing cars through claims somehow that the pandemic has lowered car values uh, when really that isn't actually the case. 
there might also be people who just, you know, can't wait to get to a dealership and start the negotiations on their next car. But the best thing we can advise at the moment is what patience, do your research, and ideally don't just have one car in mind. If you have a short list of cars or a, you know, a number of viable cars that you want to buy, you can walk away from a dealer not offering you what you gauge to be a decent enough discount and go to an entirely different one and start uh, negotiations there. You'll want to read up on the trims and the options available to you and decide what you want uh, because you want to know what you can compromise on during the negotiations and not be rushed into a deal and then end up with a car without the tech that you want and end up with a bit of buyer's remorse. If your car with the desired options isn't in stock and they need to order it for you, be aware there could be lengthy delays thanks to COVID uh, and everything else going on at the moment. Now, based on the latest roadmap announced by Boris Johnson last Monday, car showrooms are set to open along with other non-essential retail, no earlier than the 12th of April. This does mean showrooms will miss out on footfall in what is usually their busiest month of March. But dealerships have come up with a number of measures to try and keep afloat. Louise Wallace from the National Franchise Dealers Association has been telling us how their members have adapted over the last 12 months. What has happened, I mean, it was begun before the pandemic, but certainly the pandemic has been the stimulus, is that people have moved to buying cars online. Pre pre to the pandemic, a lot of research was being done online by consumers, and then they were going into the showroom to actually physically buy the car. Now you're seeing more and more people actually going through that process online and then just going to the dealership to pick the car up or even have it delivered in a lot of cases. And uh, that has made um, franchise dealers adapt to, to meet those demands of those customers as they can't necessarily physically deliver the car at the moment. So the pandemic might have accelerated the uptake for online shopping for cars and click and collect. But what about the type of cars we're actually looking for? We've been speaking with Ian Plummer, the commercial director at Auto Trader, And interestingly, he's observed a growing interest in used car sales during the pandemic. At the moment, 49% of people are saying that they feel that car ownership is more important to them now than it was pre-COVID. There are several reasons for that. Uh, One uh, particular factor is that there are a growing number of people who are actually uh, looking to avoid public transport. There's been a a strong interest in in this direction ever since the first lockdown, and people seeking some sort of safety in personal space. And that affects both new and used car interests, to be honest. Uh, It does often affect interest in older cars. We've seen a strong growth in in interest of older cars, and demand levels have been very good there. Probably some um, public transport users maybe have a lower budget, so maybe relevant for, for those people. I think Ian hits the nail on the head there about car ownership being more important to people now. Personally, as someone who hasn't owned a car for nearly 10 years, I've been researching to see if it would be feasible to get one this year. But in terms of the interest in used cars, Adrian, is this always the best option if you're looking to cut costs? And, and what advice do you have for anyone going down that route? So reliability is key to anybody buying a used car, but unless you're a mechanic or have a crystal ball on you, it's going to be very difficult when you're viewing a used car to know just how well it's going to cope with the wears and tears that we put our vehicles through. In order to help you here, we do an annual reliability survey every year. Last survey, we heard from 47,000 people uh, on well over 50,000 
cars um, and we got their personal experiences with their vehicles now looking at the the age bracket of cars sort of three to eight years old uh, we can tell you that the most reliable cars meant that 80 percent more of or more of their owners didn't have a single issue to report over the 12 month period prior to answering our survey mm-hmm. whereas the least reliable over half the owners we heard from had to get to a garage within 12 months to get something fixed and that's that's a huge huge difference so the best thing i can recommend here though is obviously very self-serving is to go to our car reviews and to go to our reliability tools online where we put as much information as we possibly can into this because we know for year on year on year reliable is the most important aspect of car ownership to consumers, whether you're driving a sports car or a city car or a big SUV. So based on our uh, series of annual surveys, there are a few traits that buyers of new cars or used cars should be aware of, and they are quite surprising. Firstly, we've seen from our stats that those buying from a luxury brand uh, are more likely to suffer more faults than those buying from sort of a, a cheaper car. And that, that doesn't sound the right way around. But city cars and small cars tend to be very reliable compared to, say, larger luxury brand uh, SUVs and large cars. In fact, Land Rover is our least reliable brand in our survey and has been uh, year on year on year. Uh, Part of the reason for that is because diesel, when you split it up by fuel type, the least reliable or most problematic fuel type. And Land Rovers, uh, the owners we heard from, I think over 90% of Land Rover owners we heard from are diesels. They were, uh, and still are at the moment, a very diesel heavy brand. Whereas the the big surprise is is Tesla. Tesla is almost comparably bad with Land Rover in terms of number of faults and cars breaking down. And obviously, it's nothing to do with diesel, as Tesla is an electric-only brand. And really, electric cars shouldn't have that number of issues because you know they don't have the complications of having an actual engine with lots and lots of lots of moving parts in there. So what might be surprising to people is that hybrids are actually turning up as the most reliable type of car in our survey. And that doesn't really seem intuitive because why would a car that has two separate propulsion systems that can work together, i.e. an electric motor and a combustion engine, be the most reliable? But year on year, owners are reporting less problems and less breakdowns comparatively than any other fuel type. When I spoke to a leading hybrid manufacturer, I was told that mechanically the cars are actually much simpler with fewer moving parts than a non-hybrid. But there's there's no need for a starter motor or clutch, and the strength of the electrical power provided uh, by a hybrid means that the equipment combustion engine, so typically a petrol engine, can rev lower, uh, it can be lighter than a normal combustion power plant, and it will not be as stressed during the driving. So in terms of advice for those who are looking to buy a used car, uh, we'll say from our reliability survey, there are four faults that occur more than anything else, and that is problems with the suspension, flat batteries, uh, problems with the exhaust or emissions, and uh, the air con. Now, there is a bit that you can do when you're going to inspect a car, whether it's in a, a used car dealership or you're buying from a private seller. When it comes to suspension, don't just get in the car or just like give it a rock because you're not really going to be able to tell anything from that. Instead, go on a test drive, look for pockmarked roads where it's going to cause some disturbance to the car because if you drive over it and you get a real sharp 
thud through the suspension, that tells you that the suspension may not be in great shape and could use a bit of TLC. So in terms of exhaust and emissions problems, you'll want to start the car and then immediately go have a look at the exhaust. If there's a lot of visible smoke, it can be a warning sign that something is wrong and that car needs to be checked. When you do start the car, have a look at the temperature gauge inside the car. You want to start the car when it's cold, uh, because if you start the car when it's already warm, it might hide a multitude of sins with the exhaust emission system. So this is particularly prevalent if you're buying from a private seller, um, if they've just finished driving the car themselves, or they've started the car purposely to try and hide these emission problems. So keep an eye on that temperature gauge, uh, and then have a look at the exhaust before you set off on a test drive. Now, in a recent Witch Car survey, more people said they're thinking of buying a hybrid next over any other fuel type. Adrian, with the ban on petrol and diesel coming up in 2030, how has this affected new car sales? Well, it's difficult to say in the face of COVID. Sales of new cars reached their peak back in 2016. And as I mentioned earlier, we've seen falling new car sales year on year. And naturally, this was more dramatic in 2020, uh, thanks largely more to the pandemic. But perhaps where we're seeing more of an influence of the, the upcoming ban um, is a big shift in fuel choice over the years. Diesel actually outsold petrol back in 2014, but following the, the Volkswagen emission scandal or Dieselgate in 2015, numbers began to drop. And at the end of last year, amidst all the, the falling sales, only 16% of people actually bought a new diesel car, whereas more people actually bought either a hybrid, a plug-in hybrid, or electric car. And that fits with uh, numbers that we've had back in our various surveys that tell us over 30% of people who are looking to buy a new car in the next two years uh, are thinking of buying a, a hybrid. But I think the biggest news here is the sales of electric cars, because that went from 1.6% of new car sales in 2019 to 6.6% of all cars. And while figures in January, as we mentioned earlier, have been so awfully low for the industry, the proportion actually for electric cars has stayed consistent at 6.9%. And again, these are all figures from the SMMT. But the biggest change is yet to come. According to figures from ZapMap, there are over 200,000 electric cars on UK roads today. But that figure is expected to rise to over 12 million by 2030 at the time that new petrol and diesel car sales are banned. So we're going to see a 60-fold increase. And this week, we've been speaking with one of our listeners, Zach, who bought an electric car during the pandemic. And here are his reasons for taking the plunge. We are wit. Hi, I'm Zach. I bought an electric vehicle back in November 2020. So there was no one big reason. Um, we had a kid on the way uh, and we were driving like a small Fiat 500. So that only had like two seats. So we knew we wanted to upgrade anyway um, as part of like becoming a bigger family. We thought at the time and we still kind of think that over time, petrol and diesel cars were kind of going to lose a lot of their value in the future as kind of more um, government policies kind of came out, which were promoting both electric vehicles and kind of uh, negatively impacting uh, normal, ordinary, ordinary uh, diesel and petrol cars. So we kind of wanted to future proof uh, the value of our car to the extent that we could. There was and there still is kind of like a big push 
to kind of make choices which have like a lower impact on the environment um and as normal people uh who don't work in the environmental industry both me and my wife kind of the only option that's really available to us is kind of our purchasing power um so we we kind of wanted to choose uh, a, a cleaner option if we could we knew like the, the kind of uh home we wanted to get had a, a driveway so that was going to be a contributing factor that we knew like over time it would be cheaper in the long run um while there might be like a, a large outstanding cost at the start hopefully that would kind of like uh ease its way into like a decade or so of driving with the, the car the pandemic has kind of like curtailed everyone's driving distances so i think the most i've done in it so far was probably from we got we've got like an ex-demo vehicle so the biggest distance i've driven in it was from the driver's dealership I think in like Brighton or something back to uh, London, definitely noticed the difference in terms of driving from like a petrol or diesel, like any kind of like motor engine um, into an electric because there's almost like a, a lack of sound when you kind of hit the acceleration and, you know, going through London without being charged anything has been nice as they kind of expanded out the congestion charge. Adrian, let's talk about electric vehicle costs then. Zach makes the point that he thought it would be cheaper in the long run, despite the bigger upfront price. Now, you've done a lot of digging into the costs and running costs of electric vehicles, Adrian. How do they compare to petrol or diesel cars? Well, the big benefit that Zach has here is the fact that he has a driveway. Because simply put, if you have off-street charging and the ability to put a a wall charger at home, you are going to benefit from the lowest running costs uh, from your electric car. In our test, looking at the amount of electricity, a car would actually use over 9,000 miles, which is roughly the the annual mileage consumers told us they did in pre-COVID times. It would cost Zach around £450 to charge his car if he was on sort of a a standard tariff, as most people are, and that's using uh, a price of 16.83 pence per kilowatt. However, if you look at the equivalent cost of running a small petrol car, and this is just the fuel costs, you're looking at around £930 for the year. So it's it's less than half price. Then there's also another saving to be made in annual car tax. New cars today have to pay a first year car tax based on their CO2 emissions before going to a standard rate of either £150 for petrol and diesel cars or £140 for uh, what they call alternative fuel cars like hybrids uh, and so on. However, electric cars, zero emission cars, do not pay car tax. So if you add £150 on to the the savings from fuel, you're looking to save around £630 a year on fuel and car tax alone. And that will save you around £3,000 over five years or over £6,000 in 10 years. So you could arguably say that you will get a lot of your costs back. But the the gap between electric cars and uh, the equivalent combustion petrol or diesel cars is still reasonably big there's also the cost of the wall charger you'll want a wall charger if you're able to charge at home uh, rather than use a three pin plug it is perfectly possible to use your three pin plug but it will take so long to charge really it would be it's a much much better choice to get a wall charger 
uh, installed at home and take charging times from you know 15 to 20 hours down to four to seven hours off the top of my head and that's a bit of a generalization across electric cars where costs might stack up um, is if you if you can't charge at home and you have to charge publicly now the the public charging network is quite complicated and then we have to get into things like uh, slow and fast chargers uh, will cost sort of 24 to 25p per kilowatt hour for ac current charging whereas if you're going to use a rapid dc charger from our investigation you'll be paying sort of 30 35p and 35p is actually the tipping point for small cars like the renault zoe because we worked out that if you're paying 35p per kilowatt hour on your small car you're essentially paying uh, the equivalent of petrol costs in the same car so you're going to have to keep an eye on what you're paying on your electricity in order to uh, keep those costs down. And those who are able to charge at home will naturally benefit from a much lower rate than you will typically find on public charges across the UK. But it also adds in another element of control. If Zach, for instance, decides he's paying too much for his uh, his electricity at home, he can have a look around at tariffs and look for a lower cost. Similarly, if he doesn't like the the green claims that uh, his company uh, electric, uh, provider is using, he might want to look for what he thinks is a greener energy tariff, and it gives you a much more it gives you much more control over the electricity and the price that you pay, where, of course, comparatively with petrol and diesel, you don't really have that anywhere near that sort of control. And while you might have to pay more for the vehicle itself, there are grants available to help with this, aren't there? Adrian, can you talk us through your options here? So yes, there are grants that consumers can benefit from. The first one is the plug-in car grant, which will reduce the cost of an electric car by up to £3,000, as long as that car costs less than £50,000 to begin with. But even with that, electric cars are still more expensive uh, than petrol diesel uh, counterparts. When we look at the differences between uh, electric cars and combustion cars, electric cars are still noticeably more pricey at the moment, even with the grant applied. Secondly, and again for people like uh, Zach, there is the Electric Vehicle Home Charge Scheme, or EVHS, also known as the, the Wall Charger Grant or Wall Charger Scheme, where it will cover up to 75% of the cost of the charge installation, but up to a maximum of £350. But some car manufacturers and home charge point manufacturers are working together and actually have better deals than the EVHS. For instance, Renault is working with BP Pulse and offers £500 off the cost of buying and installing a wall charger, which is obviously more than the maximum £350 you'll get from the EVHS. But even with the grants, are they still just too expensive for most people? Louise Wallace from the National Franchise Dealers Association says prices will need to come down if they're going to appeal to a broader market. Um, and then the growth of um, electric vehicles and, and hybrids as well, to some extent, has been has been very strong. The reason that numbers are still not that high is that they're coming from a very low base, having been introduced into market. But you know the numbers are you know, are, are increasing quite dramatically at the moment. And there seems to be a lot of interest from the public to have them. I mean, there's still issues over getting people to buy them and price being one, but also still people do get concerns about range and being able to charge their vehicle. Inevitably, if um, supply goes up and demand doesn't go up at the same pace, then the cost of those cars will come down. And I think, I mean, there is a feeling that if you are going to get more people to buy those cars, then they do need to become 
slightly more affordable to the wider public. So hopefully the increased demand will actually make them more affordable and therefore encourage people to buy them. Adrian, there is a sense that electric vehicles need to become more affordable. If you're looking to buy one, could it be worth waiting? And by that, I mean, is there any indication that prices will drop at all in the next few years between now and 2030? It's difficult to say wait, given the advantages that electric cars can offer and the benefit to the environment of those who really need to buy another car of buying a petrol or diesel over an electric car. But they are more expensive at the moment than their combustion counterparts, making it still more of an idealist choice at the moment. There is pressure on the government by certain groups to increase the plug-in grants to sort of help encourage the mass adoption of electric cars. But electric cars are expected to reach price parity with combustion in the next few years. So we should see a drop in prices. Those not ready to buy yet could be better suited by leasing deals. Though we'll warn you now, the thing that will likely sway you into buying an electric car is actually driving one. If you've never driven an electric car before, as Zach said, you know, it's it's fairly silent and that's it's lovely. But because you don't have an engine, you also don't have any vibration. You have 100% of your torque. They're, they're nippy, they're smooth, and they just feel essentially more evolved than petrol, diesel, or even hybrid cars. And we see in our surveys that electric cars particularly get the highest satisfaction rates out there. So you might start by leasing an electric car for the cost, but uh, you might yourself uh, find yourself stretching further to try and buy an electric car soon after that. Thank you so much for joining us today, Adrian. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Witch Money Podcast. If you've got a comment or question on anything we've mentioned today, please let us know in the comments wherever you're listening to the podcast or on social media at Witch Money. For the latest news and advice on cars, visit witch.co.uk forward slash cars. And make sure you catch us again next week for a special episode on the budget, which we'll be releasing a day earlier than usual on Budget Day itself, which is Wednesday, the 3rd of March. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced and edited by Rob Lilly with additional support from Ian Aikman and Kim Carver. 